Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield. Jordan Foote and Josh Geyser joining me as always. How are we doing, my guys? Josh, Fantastic. how are you doing? Love, love good life. Uh, my team won last night, unlike other people on this uh, podcast. But, uh, you know, that's just what winners do is win. Good thing you're recording during the game that's happening right now because uh, we have horse blinders on to Jordan Lyles just throwing BP starting in the fourth inning of this uh, game that's currently happening. And, like, covering the team and living in Kansas City, I've lived in Kansas City for basically 15 years, so, like, I still, like, I like the Royals a lot, and I love this team and love covering this team, but, like, my fandom lies with Seattle. So the game last night at Kaufman was a weird emotional state for me to be in because I was... Like, just at that, at a certain point, I was just rooting for a Brady Singer no-hitter. Like, I just wanted to see it happen because, like, why not at that point? Like, I'd rather see the history. And then the bullpen implodes for the Royals. And I'm happy, partially, because the Mariners are actually coming back. And I'm like, oh, hey, they're going to find a way to pull out a win here. And then the other side of me is like, oh, my God, the Royals are just imploding in about the worst way humanly possible. And then they then the Royals turn around and walk it off. And then I was mad because... I guess Dylan Moore doesn't know that Dyron Blanco is just going to bunt with someone on third base like he has done pretty much every at-bat that he has a runner on third base for. Weird, weird. A great game. Like, it was a fantastic baseball game. But for me, I was just, like, in about eight different emotional places for pretty much the entire game. And right now, I'm just happy at this point because it confirms my priors about Jordan Lyles and the Mariners' offense is actually a thing now, so I'm fine with it. Jordan, well, how are you? I I guess I'm good, man. I uh happy to be here. Um, I didn't get to ask Joel before we came on, which usually I do. I didn't really ask him about the game, so I'm glad I got the four one one on the yeah. emotional roller coaster that means attending a game where you're a fan of two different teams. But um, I'm excited to be here, man. As always. We appreciate y'all sticking with us here. Uh, we got a lot to get into. We're gonna hit a you know our usual pitcher here spotlights we're also going to talk about some very kind of like specific stats and things we're looking for down the stretch of the last couple of months uh for one hitter one pitcher and then we're going to talk about the mlb pipeline top 30 which was updated uh last week i believe it was last wednesday so it was right after we recorded it feels like stuff that is like would be important pertinent information in the moment always comes out on wednesdays right after we have recorded and so we have to wait about six days to get it all in. It feels like that has happened pretty much all season. Uh, before we do thought, all of that, yeah, I thought it was like Tuesday afternoons, right before it might have been. Like we do all our prep, and then like trade deadline was everything at five o'clock, so we had pretty much had to like yeah. scrap everything. Pretty much, <laughs> it feels like pretty much. Yeah, Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning is when all the all the stuff starts hitting the fan. This show is always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. We can't thank them enough. Uh, for helping us out here, day one sponsor here at KCSN. So be sure to check them out if you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train. So just some 
thoughts from the last week, and it kind of extends for me back two weeks, really back to uh, over the last 15 games for Bobby Wood Jr. And just the, the stat line is absurd. Since July 28th, when he hit the walk-off grand slam, kind of the line of demarcation that I'm using here, he is slashing 453, 493, 844, and that's in 69 plate appearances. Nice. Uh, with a totally sustainable 264 weighted runs created plus, he has gotten to uh, 4.6 F4 now, which is ninth in all of Major League Baseball, second among shortstops. Uh, he is going to, he's pacing right now pretty close to a six win season. He's going to have the highest F4 among all shortstops in the big leagues. And it's not, and it's not just the stuff at the plate. He is continuing to play elite defense at shortstop. He leads all of Major League Baseball in outs above average among all position players, not not named catchers. That's how outs above average doesn't count in catchers. It's all infield, outfield. He is becoming the superstar that we all knew that he could be. Like, and what's crazy is even with this stretch, I think he's still just scratching the surface. Like, it, it is not a complete thing yet, but we're watching a dude growing into the peak of his powers at 23 years old. I mean, the price is going up, but it is absolutely special to watch Bobby Wood Jr. play baseball right now. I'm I'm loving every second of it. Yeah, it's... Uh, go ahead, Josh. If the season ended today, just real quick, is Bobby Wood Jr. an MVP finalist? Does he get MVP votes? He's going to gonna get down-ballot MVP votes. Like yeah. he's probably gonna like he'll be in that probably kind of like Salvador Perez in twenty sure. he had the forty eight homers like he'll finish like seven or something like that. I can see. That. I don't know how far does it log like on your baseball reference page twentieth twenty twentieth okay so I can see him doing that. I don't know if he cracks top ten and that's obviously not an indictment next year if he can build off what he's done like if we go back two two and a half months ago we had a podcast where we were like man is Bobby Wood Jr. going to put it together at least I was I was like I don't know it seems like he's really not putting it together the things aren't clicking for him that literally just snap and he's been phenomenal ever since and that's the thing about this uh recent stretch it was after a prolonged period where he was playing really good ball so it's not a fluke that he is producing at an all-star MVP caliber level even if he doesn't do that moving forward He's still showing that he has the capability to do it, and it goes from him being a possible, okay, well, maybe he turns out to just be a good player, and that's not what people wanted, to, okay, he is a perennial all-star. How often can he elevate to an MVP? And that is a good spot to be in, um, regardless of whether he sustains it or not. So all good news, I think, for him. Lorenzo Cain's, he got the MVP, like, second runner-up, third overall. And he had, a, I believe, it was an eight. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of it. Where it's seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. So if Bobby's Bobby has four point six F four right now. I think I saw Zip's projection the rest of the season was like one more. Um, so you can squint and see like five, five, five and a half, six maybe. Um, so that's just context reference of what Locane got. That's kind of what I was like. Do you think he could get to third uh, like Locaine did in 2015? It'd be it'd be tough I to, mean, be able to make that case, I think. But so yeah. these what, are the players know. that are yeah, these are the players that are listed above him in the American League for and like just in the F like in F four, but it provides some sort of context to who's probably going to be uh, in the MVP discussion. We all know Shohei is going to win it, 
It's just yeah. a matter of two through 20 at that point. And Shohei, and then it goes to Marcus Simeon in Texas, Lou Bob in, uh, for the White Sox, um, player that plays shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays that will not be named, Bobby Wood Jr., and then Adolis Garcia. Jose Ramirez is down at 15. Kyle Tucker at 18. Julio Rodriguez at 20. Um, and that's where they rank among F4 and all of Major League Baseball. So there's not many players that are, you know, more valuable if you want to use it, war as a value stat than Bobby Wood Jr. There's only four more. So I'm not saying that he's going to finish top five. I don't think he will. I think they're going to give it to a few more guys just because the team was so awful that, like, people are not, it's not going to be necessarily front of mind. But if he goes out there and he gets a way to run create a plus up above like 120, he gets like a, gets a 30, 45 season, 30 homers, 45 stolen bases with a gold glove, which I think is almost a shoe in at this point. I think he's going to finish somewhere in that seven to 10 range for MVP, which if you told me that at the end of May, I would have said you were crazy. And what's yeah. nuts about it all too, is at the end of, uh, I think Royals weekly uh, tweeted Marcus tweeted this at me when I posted the thing at the stats about Bobby this morning that at the end of June Bobby Wood Jr.'s weighted runs created plus was 87 mm-hmm. so he was at the two months ago not even that a month and a half ago he was 13% below league average and in six weeks he's now 16% better I that is a massive swing which I think shows you that really the light the light bulb has gone on for him and now it's just continuing to stack on top of that uh, which is why I think he's just now kind of scratching the surface of what he's actually going to be because who knows like where he can go from here if this is what he's doing right now. He's not going to hit 400, but <laughs> having stretches like this is certainly fun and helps. Uh, but yeah. if he can just level out a little and is a, a 280 hitter with a 125-130 weighter and straight a plus with his speed and his defense, I mean... Our Peter Apple said it preseason. He thinks yeah. Bobby Wood Jr. can win an MVP. That, those those are the kind of stats that could get you there. And mm-hmm. we're just seeing him begin to get there at 23 years old. So to keep it moving on promising infielders for the Royals that are also under 25, uh, Michael Garcia kind of has been flying under the radar lately. Like he's just been doing his thing, not standing out a ton, but still playing good defense, doing some solid jobs on the base pads um 15 games after the all-star break to the end of the month of july slashing 230 242 377 14 hits and 66 plate appearances he was walking three percent of the time with a 57 way to run created plus so quietly struggling for a little bit 12 games in august 383 415 383 um, 18 hits and 53 plate appearances he swiped four bags after not swiping any and that last 15, walking more often, striking out more as well, but under 20%, 123 WRC+. plus. Um, the only real two things I noticed is Babipluck was coming around a little bit. Like, it was really, really high during his hot streak. Then it was really, really low. Now it's kind of evening out. And then secondly, his medium contact percentage during this stretch is 62%. The season average is 47 So he's doing something differently. I can't pinpoint what his change was again we're talking about less than 20 games in both of those samples but after he's kind of scuffling a little bit at the plate he settled back in and kind of been that steady force that 
um, he's grown to be for the Royals this year, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I noticed last night, and I've never noticed this really before, except for the last couple of weeks, is his look, and this is this is where my scouting eye is. <laughs> the look that he gives pitchers while he's stepping in the batter's box is such like a look of disgust. I love it so much. I like the how dare you be on the same. It's like you disgust me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just uh, it's just mean mugging the pitcher at all times. I just love it so much. And uh, yeah, Michael Garcia is a lot of fun to watch. Speaking of being fun to watch, since the All Star break, these Royals are thirteen and sixteen. Now, this is this is not a perennial contender that we're looking at here, but obviously thirteen to sixteen is better than what we've seen so far if they maintained that win percentage they'd end up being around 58 and 104 which i think i think at this point we would all kind of take um kind of moving forward i I think that we would feel okay moving into next year if that were the record at the end of it still probably the second best odds to win a 101 pick so uh you're not really losing anything there the a's stink but the rockies are somehow slightly better paced than that uh, 104 so I think you can find uh, plenty to be encouraged about and kind of leading to that since the trade deadline they are 7-6 and six, an actual winning team and two of those games were lost or either tied or lost in the late, uh, late of the game so if they had a functioning bullpen they could be 9-4 and four in that stretch which is very fun to me um, they've had multiple comebacks in that stretch. They're showing resilience for their backs up against the wall like they did last night in the win against the Mariners. Not trying to rub that in uh, at all, but <laughs> it is. They've had a lot of comebacks. It's fun to see. They're having a little fun. They're having a little cockiness, a little swagger to their steps. So yeah, kind of. I've been pretty encouraged with what I've seen from them since the All Star. Or I'm sorry, since the trade deadline, really. But it's really, I mean, if we're like stringing out the sample size, let's say to the the second half started. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see them start to get some of that, like especially as we get toward the end of the season. It's something for these young guys to build off of. Uh, you know, we we can go back in hindsight being 2020, like, oh, why couldn't they put together a seven-game win streak in May? It might have turned things around a little sooner. Uh, I I think we one thing that we it's so hard to quantify is the mental toll the losses take. And when they pile up so early, so quickly, and so many guys were playing poorly, like it just does. Uh, you know, the Avalanche started rolling downhill so fast that, you know, they had dug themselves into a, you know, such a hole that I don't know. It became untenable by the end of May. Well, it was just a matter of when are they going to be able to get out of it? And then you, you get a galvanizing win like they did against, uh, Cleo against Minnesota with the walk on yeah. slam. And then that, that's when they started to get it. Like it was just going to take a moment like that. I know we talked about that before, but again, like, they probably are going to be able to stack some more wins together. Probably not tonight, but stack a few more because of the resilient win that they had on Monday night against Seattle. Before we break here, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit just for the sake of it. They were 11 and 15 last June, 13 and 15 last July, 13 and 16 in August, and then 10 and 16 in September. That 10 and 16 obviously is not good, um, but. So we've seen before the, hey, they're showing a little bit of a sign of life. Yeah. And then they absolutely flop. But it's still worth bringing up because they are playing better and they were absolutely putrid to begin the year. So even if this isn't real, which I'm going to lean that it isn't, if they found a middle ground and would have done that this year, people wouldn't be nearly as pissed. And I mean, people are going to be mad either way, but I'm going to go out on a limb 
and say the people that are pissed would rather watch a competitive team than not a competitive team. So it's still uh, worth bringing up either way. And in this division, who knows where that sits <laughs> barely subpar under yeah. gets yeah. and they're, they're still in the hunt. Maybe they're buying a trade deadline. What what a world <laughs> what a world that would be. Um, I don't want to. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but it is like I, I understand Jordan's point. And it's something that we've talked about on other podcasts before. Like, hey, they're playing well down the stretch. Maybe it's something. But I think for at least like this is a team with a ton of young players. Yeah. That you know are going to be on the team next year for the most part. Yeah. So for them to be able to build that is different than a team with like that we've seen in the past where it's a bunch of veterans that may or may not be around and a couple young guys, like it is a bunch of dudes that you know are probably there's a better than fifty percent chance are gonna be playing together in twenty twenty four, learning how to win together the big blue global now might carry over some. Might not do a lot, but I think we're at least going to be we're beginning to see the steps in the right direction that we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year. Just happens to be as we're getting close to football season when no one's going to give a shit about baseball pretty soon anyway. So it's fine. Like they're starting to, it happens every year. They start to win right around the time that the Chiefs start to win and no one cares. Sign my petition at change.org to start MLB season starting June 1st from now on. <laughs> eh. We're going to take our first break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What's good, everybody? It is Ben Heisler from Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And if you are ready to go the distance and improve your golf game like I am in the process of doing, I want you to head on over to PXG right here in Kansas City and take the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge. They are confident in the Gen 6 that they're putting their money where their mouth is. If their Gen 6 Driver does not deliver more distance, more carry and roll, higher dispersion compared to your current driver when you go in for a fitting, they got you covered with a $100 MasterCard reward card. That's it. Go in for a driver fitting. See if your driver is up to their driver. And if it is... You get a $100 MasterCard reward card in the process. This is an unbelievable opportunity to upgrade your game with a custom fit PXG fitting. I've had it at the Kansas City store with Alex. It was one of the great experiences I've had in a golf fitting period. So take the PXG Gen 6 driver all throughout the month of August and get ready to hit those fairways with confidence. So visit your local Kansas City store or head on over to pxg.com for all the terms and conditions. PXG. Nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Be sure to hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. Thanks for hanging out with us, as always, uh, through this baseball season. It's been one of the seasons of all time, and we are... It's been one, yeah. Of all the seasons ever, it has been one of them for sure. I think. (laughs) Hot take. That's a big gift through. Well, we're going to go into our hitter and our pitcher spotlights of the week. And for our hitter, we're going to talk about Michael Massey. And the the crux of the discussion here is going to be whether or not he's a part of the core moving forward uh, for this team. I know people hate arbitrary deadlines. I was getting I was getting hate for it on social media for you know you know providing context of possible improvement for a hitter uh, throughout the course of a season. It's, if you want to, I'll, I'll go back pretty far here. But since May second, he's been a one hundred three WRC plus. 
He's striking. He's walking about eight percent. I'm going to get into that a little more later. Striking out seventeen point four percent, slashing two forty four, three thirteen, four thirty eight, ten homers. So a slightly above average hitter at second base. You know the offensive floor or like ceiling at second base isn't spectacular unless you're like Ozzy Albies. There's just not many out there, or Jose Altuve, I guess. <laughs> but and even like over the last about three weeks or so, he's had a way to run created plus around like one twenty or so. I with the deep the and as well as he plays defense five outs above average on the season, which is you know pretty solid among all second basemen. I think he probably is at this point. Like I think the over the last couple of months, he has I think he's solidified it a little more. Certainly had some questions about it after the first month. Like it was so awful that the season long numbers like are just a train wreck. But when you look at what he's been able to do and how he's been able to adjust throughout the season, he's steadily improved and he's putting together a lot better at bats. He's spoiling a lot more pitches. He's willing to work more counts. He's not as aggressive. I think we're starting to see him round into forward where you think, okay, he, he I think he can play second base in 24. But if he, he starts out the year awful again, like if he's just one of those guys that's a you know, a stereotypical slow starter. Like, I don't know if you can rely, and that's not reliable enough. Especially when you're trying to win games out the gate and you don't want to start the season the way you did now. But what what do you guys think? I, I'm in on Massey being a part of the of next year and a part of the core, so to speak. Where where are you guys at? Yeah, I'm I'm in on that as well. I I, I included him as my uh just above the borderline of core and still has something to prove. Um, but I think it's mostly because the cost that you would have to give up to replace him is going to be more than it makes sense to just keep him there, if that makes sense. I think he, Joel, you hit it on the head. Like the defense is what it is. It's very, very good at a pretty expendable and not very valuable position at second base. That's usually where you hide somebody that can't play uh, very good defense, but he can play out very good defense and. That is part of the Royals' culture, I think, at this point. And it always has been the last decade or so, at least. So I think that is definitely part of the equation. It is, and Joel, you touched on this as well, That it is bag, bottling, boggling. There's the word. It, might, it breaks my brain, quite literally, that first month, how bad and how much it dragged down his entire season stats. He flashed 167, 173, 179 was his slash line for that first month. That was with a 260 BABIP. His BABIP since then, 259. And he's slashing 244, 313, and 438. That is crazy. And there's your case for why you can't use BABIP for batters. <laughs> not very often, no. It's, it's crazy town. Man, he's got the weird it's, it's almost like not swinging at literally everything and Thank working you. a couple counts makes a lot of difference. Yeah. A 1.2% walk rate in that first month and a 38.3% K rate. Since then, he's had a crazy combination of just under 8% walk rate and a 17.4% K rate. You don't really get that high of a walk rate without also getting a higher K rate on that front. So it's kind of a weird combination there as well. I, I kind of also wonder if everything he's doing, I don't wonder. I think it's sustainable. I think this is what we get from him. And he might still be underachieving. His expected batting average plus his expected WOBA is a 774, whereas OPS is just a 647. So I think he's actually could go up a little bit more. We could see a little bit more from Mike Massey moving forward. So 
I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm including him in the core. I think he'd be a great, I mean, even if he's, you know, hitting seventh or later, then, and then I think it's completely fine. They could do way worse in this lineup. He's in third, which is kind of wild to think about, but, um, I trust what's, what's going on with Q and what he's doing with the lineup as much. And if Massey is your seven hole hitter playing really good defense at second base and giving you above average, if not, you know, pretty good bat, then I think it's a, a green light for the core, in my opinion. I have a two-part answer, and one of them, the first part is providing context to what you guys already hinted at, and I broke it down to, so was he on the IL when he got hurt, or did he just miss X amount of time? Because it he was from go the 14th IL. to the 4th of he June. He did go on the IL. Okay, so I broke it into pre-IL, post-IL. Um, 217 batting average, 315 slugging percentage, since he got back on July 4th, 234 and 459. So he's driving the ball better too, running into more power, strikeout rate down from 29% to 11%, massive difference there without a huge change in walk rate. Um, 94 WRC plus versus 61 beforehand. His pull percentage is up 19% before and after. The zone contact percentage is up 9%. The out of zone contact percentage is up 11%. And the swinging strike rate is down 6%. So like he's making very significant improvements in multiple areas across the board. Part of it's running into better luck. Part of it is actually making those changes. Um, he's shown flashes of being a league average hitter. And even last year, we were thinking, okay, he has a relatively safe floor. He had a huge month of May this year and has been respectable since July when he got back. Um, 50th percentile or more in a bunch of different savant metrics. So you look at his profile and you're like, okay, this guy probably has been underachieving just a little bit. And the defense among outfielders, or not outfielders, sorry, second baseman with 400 plus innings. He's seventh and outs above average on fan graphs, sixth in UZR, um, 91st percentile in outs above average on savant. Good defender. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. With all of that said, is he a part of the core for 2023 or sorry, 2024? I think yes, because they don't really have another choice right now. Should he be a part of the core long-term? I'm not sold that Mike Massey is that player. I think he yeah. could be Nicky Lopez with more pop in his bat and maybe you're sacrificing a little bit of defense and maybe yeah. something on the base pads, but still either a high value reserve or he could be, like we've talked about with a guy like Drew Waters, if he's hitting 7, 8, or ninth, you're doing okay if you have the rest of your you know, lineup carrying. So if he finishes this year well and does pretty decently and starts next year well, I will just concede and be like, okay, he's part of the core. Right now, I just don't know if he will. He is one guy that cannot survive having a rough month of April, month of no. May next year. If that happens, he's not going to be no. a part of the core. So I'm... I'm fence sitting on him. I'm not buying any stock, but I definitely am not selling because, like I said, he's made improvements, and you guys definitely uh, make good points on him too. Yeah, like I may, my opinion may completely change if he has the a dupe, he replicates his April next year, yeah. and we're gonna have a completely different conversation about where Michael Massey is because you just can't afford to have like there are guys in every lineup that start slow, and by the May they start. That's fine. You can have a couple guys that do that throughout your roster, but the Royals seem like they have a few guys that do. The that. whole team is and, like that. <laughs> they they just sl- start slow every year. It was, it was yeah. everybody all at once, and 
you just can't have that many guys doing it, especially yeah. when it isn't as awful as Michael Massey's April mm-hmm. was. Yeah. So I guess we'll, it's kind of a wait and see. Now, if he comes out and is kind of doing what he's doing right now, like about a 103, 104 WRC plus with good defense, like, okay, I think that's perfectly safe. Hell, if he gives him 90, 95, like if he gave him 95 yeah, and was playing good defense, I'd be totally fine with that. He's good enough defensively that he can, he can make it work. And there's enough offensive pop there that it's not a Nicky Lopez where it is, you are totally relying on Babbitt to, like, because there is absolutely no power potential whatsoever. He has, over the course of a full season, I think 15 to 20 home run power. At second base, there aren't many dudes. That Hell, can he could get to 15 this year, really. I mean, if yeah, he yeah, got hot. I think he has 10 right now on the year. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's very, he very easily can do that. I've seen people talk about that for a long time. He hit 21 in high A, so it's not like it's, you know, this is a, you know, a guy that is just now beginning to run his power. And Bobby Wood Jr. just hit a grand slam. I, I was about to say, yeah, he's ridiculous. <laughs> and he is on an all-time oh, heater right God. now. Oh, holy shit. Bobby Wood Jr., man. Holy shit. Can we promise to not have him be our spotlight one of these days? Can we just avoid that altogether from now on? Just so we don't curse him. Uh yeah. I think I think we need to talk about him, but we can't make him the spotlight anymore. Never spotlight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think yeah, that's fine. Who do we got now? Carlos Hernandez. Yeah, it is. Carlos Hernandez. Now we're gonna talk about him, and it is for another reason. Um since, like, I'm going to pull up the game logs here because he had a stretch there for a little bit that was was good, and we're thinking, hey, maybe this is the, you know, maybe the next, maybe they found something, and this is the next guy in the bullpen that we can start to look at. Well, tra- tra- draw the line right after the trade deadline when he became the closer. Or, you know, just back in bullpen. Oh, yeah. 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 Because uh, they hasn't necessarily been used there. So, yeah, on 8-1... Where that was the day before the trade deadline. So, uh, shutout outing uh, against the Phillies on April, on August fourth, and then gives up the grand slam that shouldn't have happened uh, against the Red Sox. And then he gives uh, he gets faces with a one batter on uh, I think that was the the Friday night game uh, against St. Louis. Just faces the one batter and he was done, and then gives uh, faces five batters, clean inning. There and then last night was just horrific uh, against Seattle. He was all over the place, and when he was in the zone, it was piped. Yeah, I mean, it was right down the middle. Like he he didn't have much secondary. His fastball has even been objectively terrible since yeah around the break. Our break, like it, it's yeah. been bad for a month. I mean, it's still. I mean, he's still throwing ninety eight, ninety nine. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like it's like velocity, but it's kind of back to where Brandon we Mauer. were last season and before, where it's like. <laughs> This dude throws 99. It shouldn't be that hittable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of getting, we're getting back to that point. And the walks are up to like recently. Like walks. it's not, it's not completely. The sample isn't big enough for me to like care that much and look too much into it. But like people are hitting the shit out of him right now. He's walking more people. Um, I don't really admittedly know too much about fan grabs like valuation for different pitches but his fastball runs above average on the years plus 5.7 since the all-star yeah. break it's minus 3.8 like it's been really bad he's had two blow-up games in the last four prior to those before the all-star break um three earned runs allowed in 10 innings pitch like he can totally 
turn this around, but this is the type of stuff that is why people say trade your relievers. I know that's one of our points. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but like that is the first thing I think of is like, if he does turn back into a pumpkin or whatever, that's one of the main reasons why people say sell high and, and move. Yep. I think that's, that's the biggest thing is this is kind of the, the living embodiment of trade your relievers. Yeah. Because the volatility of the position is so stark that this kind of thing can happen. And you just never know if you're even going to get anything close to not just trade value, but just like the mentality of from, from the pitcher of, is he going to come back and be the guy that he was at the beginning of the year? Or is a stretch like this going to mess with the psyche so much that you're, you have no idea what you're going to get. And it's a mixed bag again, kind of like what we've seen with Dylan Coleman this year. Like that's, that's how fast it can happen. Now, I think there's still enough to dream on with Carlos Hernandez that he, you know, settled back into a role and I don't, and because he's been used as like a fireman and a closer, like, I don't know how they're going to continue to use him. If they're going to let him close out games, give him clean innings, or if he's going to be a fireman type, I I have no idea. And he's only 26. Like he'll be 27 at the beginning. He's under club control. Like I still think we were on board with them keeping him for the most part because like, yes, yes, trade to relievers, but at a certain point, if you're trying to make the playoffs in 2025, six and seven, you can have him all of those years. And if he turns out to be a valuable piece, or if you find out that you're still years away, he'll still have some value. So like, I, I don't disagree with what they did by keeping him, but um, it, it is a slippery slope with the reliever, yes. no matter who it is. And this is just like a blip on the radar. It's in the distance. It's nothing too alarming. Like no one should hit the panic button, but um, it's not the Carlos Hernandez or even close to it that we saw prior to whatever deadline you want to bring up. Trade deadline, uh, uh, all-star break, whatever it is. I I looked up his high leverage splits mm-hmm. and he has a 19.2% walk rate. This is a, this is a 26 batter's face sample size. So high leverage situations in 2023, a 19.2% walk rate. He has a 57.1% line drive rate. Wow. That's not good. 21.4% barrel rate and a 57.1% hard hit percentage. See, hanging out with Jose Quas? Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, and, and, and let's, let's give him a little bit of grace here because he's going from being a 24, 25 year old kid yep. trying to figure out the starting rotation gig. Then yep. he became a bullpen arm pretty much the end of last year and into this year. So he's kind of, I mean, we talked to Austin Cox about it last week. This is a little bit different mentality you got to have. And I think there's even another step in mentality to be a closer and to, and to work in those high liver situations. Maybe not even closer, but just like a fireman role, whatever you want, Carlos Hernandez. The skill is there. I, I'm sold on that. I think that that is real what we saw at the beginning of the season before things kind of fell off. I think that was absolutely real. So I, I still see that in there. I think he needs to develop a little bit more in those high leverage roles. I wanted to talk about a little bit more about the trade reliever situation. The only context that we have is past trades that were completed about trade value and stuff. So I looked at all of those trades last year. As far as like a reliever that had this much control like Carlos Hernandez has, there was really just one last year, and it was the Toronto-Miami trade. Anthony Bass, 34-year-old, had another one and a half years of control, and 25-year-old Zach Pop went to Miami. No, is that right? 
went to Toronto. I'm sorry. They went to Toronto for Jordan Groshans, who was a top 100 prospect at the time. So if that deal is able to be mad and you could do Scott Barlow and Carlos Hernandez for a top 100 prospect that's probably struggling. Groshans was struggling at the time. He's struggling even more in 2023. So let's say they package Barlow and Carlos Hernandez to the Padres again for Dylan Lesko coming off of Tommy John surgery. He has less than 20 innings of pro ball and he's not doing so hot. Didn't debut till June. So would you guys take that that trade instead of the Barlow trade for uh, Hank Williams and uh, Jesus Rios and keep Carlos Hernandez or the trade that I kind of laid out hypothetically? Which one would you guys rather have See, I, I do not think Carlos Hernandez is going to be an individual trade. Yeah. My my theory, and I think it's going to be him attached with Salvi the soft season. Yeah. That's, I think that's, he, uh, I, it's going to be like now. He, it's he, a different he, return, though, <laughs> with he, that contract. He, 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 yeah. I don't know. Well, okay, so here's where I, where I was going to go with it. It is not the same track record because of what Edwin Diaz did, but it's going to look something kind of like the yeah. no Edwin Diaz trade to, mm-hmm. to the Mets where you got an aging player with a contract and a team willing to take on that money for the veteran player and you got the young controllable reliever with some decent upside. Now, to be fair, Edwin Diaz is coming off 50 save season yep. when that happened. But was I think really there's... There, yes, he was ridiculously good. Cano was not. Cano was mm-hmm. not even Salvi. No, uh, yeah, I think he was. I think he was fine that year in Seattle. Was he all right? So when he hit that, when he hit that cliff, man, it came real. Fast. Oh, oh, it was rough. It was rough. And then they started using <laughs> steroids, and like a dumbass yeah. got caught twice. Um, we got a lot more to talk about, and I'm sure we'll we'll do some more trade scenarios and whatnot later on. Uh, before we uh, before we talk about what we're looking for the rest of the season, uh, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Thanks for hanging out with us. And I need to go to the Kent Squanson School of Transitions into breaks. Mm-hmm. Do I would advise against that, though. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. He's had very, yeah, but he's had some suspect treatment. I'm not going to bring him up, but. Yeah. All right, so we're going to hit a uh, one specific thing that we're watching for a hitter and a pitcher. And as I thought about mine, and I, I put mine in the dock, and I realized that we've talked about both guys, so I'll be brief. But we talked about Michael Massey, and specifically I'm looking at the walk rate. Is he going to continue to walk around that 8% clip, which I think for him works with the way that he's able to make contact? I think we're going to be able to, you know, we'll know a lot more about if these changes in his approach that he seems to have made to not swing at everything in the rosin bag. If he's able to do that, the power's going to come a little bit more. I think we're going to be in really good shape with Michael Massey going into next year. And then for the pitcher, it's Carlos Hernandez, and I alluded to it earlier, but his usage. Is he going to be a guy that is closing out ninth innings, or is it going to be by committee? Is he going to be the fireman? Is he going to be the guy that that goes in the seventh inning and you're trying to Are they going to use him in an opener role again, which I thought he thrived in uh, at the beginning of the season. So how they use Carlos Hernandez will tell me a lot about either A, how the Royals are going to use him yeah. moving forward, or it's a show-off or showcase to other teams of, hey, this guy can do this, 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 and this. Do you want him? And it could be a part of a, a little bit of a trade potential for this offseason. I've got a pitcher. I've got Zach Greeky's career strikeout total. This does not impact the Royals long term. Um, he's got 2,955 in his career. He's 45 short of the 3K mark. He has 73 Ks in 110 innings pitched this year. He had 73 and 137 last year, so he is getting more per one inning, night innings, whatever you want to say. He's currently on the 15-day IL with the elbow uh, soreness, inflammation, whatever it was. It's his second IL stint since July 1st. Combine that with last year and now he's pitched this year. I haven't heard anything. This is not me reporting anything at all, but I think this is it for Zach Greinke personally. Um, With that said, I did the math. He's got six, maybe seven starts left. If he comes back on August 22nd, 23rd, whatever it is, he's not going to hit 3K. Like in in 30 innings or whatever it is, um, he's not going to get 45 strikeouts unless he just goes absolutely bonkers and empties the tank the rest of the year. Um, But I am intrigued to see how he ends this season, potentially ends a career that has been very storied, obviously Hall of Fame worthy. And then I've got uh, Drew Waters' walk rate and slugging percentage. I know I was supposed to pick one. I cheated on both of these Uh, prior to July 1st. He had a 5% walk rate and a 366 slugging percentage. 
since the beginning of July, 7.8 and 437. Since the All-Star break, 8.9 and 475. And in the last 15 games, 12.5 and 489. And I think you can see he didn't get back until like May, the end of May. I think I said the end of December. It was like close Memorial weekend. Yeah. Yeah, so it took him a while to get going. And once he did, he was getting better. And then he had a couple weeks and he got better. And then he had a couple. Like he's made pretty substantial incremental improvements throughout the year. Um, so I'm interested to see, because if he can walk at close to a double-digit rate or right at 10%, and his slugging percentage is 400-plus, and that raw power does translate, whole different conversation with him. So those are the the two things I'm looking at. I am all the way here for Grinky em- emptying the tank for the last, like, two months. Just pump it, Grinky like, 92, 93 yeah. the rest of the year. Grinky pops a 95 in his last start. <laughs> That would be awesome. That would be the best. Uh, my my two pretty short and simple. My the Cole Reagan slider, um, specifically yeah. the slider, because of what it would say about the front office, the coaching, and the personal development of Cole Reagan's. Um, if he's able to incorporate a slider and as opposed to just eliminating a cutter that everybody wanted him to do, that shows me a lot about where we've come since the Cal Eldred years um, that we're able to target guys in other organizations that we could develop and turn into something, increase their value and make them something more. That is exactly what this front office needs. So I'm going to be specifically looking at Cole Reagan's effectiveness with that slider and how it kind of changes his repertoire in general. Uh, the other one is I kind of did a double as well, Jordan, so I'm right there with you. But MJ Melendez, UZR per 150 in the outfield relative to his WRC+. plus. So lately, he's been on a tear. Um, He's been hitting the ball well, I think, since the All-Star break. He's at 123 WRC+. plus. That will absolutely play in a corner outfield spot. Um, (laughs) He has a minus 3.3 UZR per 150 in the outfield. No sugar coating <laughs> at all. It's not that's not good. Yeah, that's down there among a bunch of Jags, but also Acuna, Trout, Tucker, Rosario, and Schwarber. What do those guys do? They hit the crap out of the ball. And that's how they separate and differentiate themselves from those Jags is they hit the absolute snot out of the ball. So if you're gonna be a bad corner outfielder, your bat better counterbalance that uh, that ineffective glove. So at this point, I think that's what you really got to be looking for. He's doing more damage on against the fastball, against sliders. He's barreling balls up more. Um, his barrel rate since the All-Star break is at 16%, which is putting him in the company of Trout, of Adoles Garcia, of Nolan Gorman, of Giancarlo Stanton. These are dudes that are also being effective with the bat and counterhousing their awful defense. So if this is what we are going to see from MJ Melendez moving forward, Stick him out there in the corner outfielder. I don't care how bad his defense is because he's going to make up with the bat. And I'm also going to caveat that with maybe the ship hasn't completely sailed on him as a catcher. If they incorporate the ABS system, maybe they can kind of hide him back there a little bit more and you don't have to worry about his bat as much. You can add to the corner outfield spot. But again, Salvador Perez and Freddie Fermin are also a pretty solid combo back there. So we got options, just something to keep an eye on for moving forward. All right, we're going to end this episode. We have not talked about the minor leagues much over the last couple of weeks because there's been so much for us to to hit on. Yeah. Uh, the MLB pipeline uh, 
new top 30 rankings, the midseason rankings that come out. This involves uh, movement from the preseason as well as the new drafted guys that are top 30 prospects. I'm going to run through a really quick 30 to 1. Number 30, Daniel Vasquez, 29, Lewinder Avila, 28, Devin Mann, 27, Peyton Wilson, 26, Will Klein, 25, John McMillan, 24, Hiro Wyatt, 23, Hank Williams, 22, Spencer Nevins, 21, Jared Dickey, David Sandlin at number 20, 19, Noah Cameron, 18, Hunter Owens, 17, Anthony Veneziano, 16, Diego Fernandez, 15, Carson Rockefort, 14, Javier Vaz, 13, Mason Barnett, 12, Angel Zerpa, he'll come off here pretty soon. Number 11, Chandler, Ch- Chandler Champlain. Number 10, Austin Charles. 9, Blake Walters. 8, Tyler Gentry. 7, Carter Jensen. Number 6, last year's number uh, number 1 pick, Gavin Cross. Number 5, Nick Lofton. Number 4, Frank Mazzucato. 3, Ben Kuderna. 2, Caden Wallace. And number 1, your 8th overall pick from this past year, Blake Mitchell. That was a lot of guys, so we got we got some names here, but Josh, we'll start with you. What was your one of your kind of overarching takes on the new pipeline top thirty? Uh, how dare you disrespect Javier Voss at fourteen uh, MLB pipeline? How dare you? I don't know that I love me some Javier Voss. I don't. I understand why ranking sites don't really love him. He's got a pretty high floor. Not sure what his ceiling is going to be. Um, so he's still, you know, we'll see how it is. But I do like some Javier Voss. Um, I think Blake Walters could kind of skyrocket up these uh, rankings quite a bit, depending on what he looks like. Uh, I guess in next year, I mean, he hasn't pitched at all this year, right? He hasn't he hasn't hit complex league. No, I don't even think he's in the complex. Yeah, I think they're doing the same thing they did with like the Mazzucato and yeah, yeah. He just they're going to go down to Arizona and work out, but I don't think they're going to let him throw much. Yeah. So I think that I mean he could absolutely be skyrocketing upwards by uh, by midseason last year or next year. Uh, same with Hyrule Wyatt. I, I know I've got it in information that Dodgers liked him a lot. And if Dodgers are in on a prep pitcher, then I'm in on a prep pitcher. Um, him at 25 seemed like a, a pretty low, uh, low, low bar, I guess, at this point. But I guess my overarching takeaway is kind of there's 15 guys that have like a 45 grade or a higher. So 15 guys that they could see making some kind of MLB contribution over their careers. Which seems like a pretty deep draft. I mean, that's half of it, or a deep, you know, top thirty system. Uh, but it doesn't. It's lacking the star power, as it always yeah. has. So I think that's the way it's going to be moving forward. Until I mean, we're going to add a pretty high pick next year in theory. Uh, maybe some trades happen and we get some of that, you know, kind of fought back, and maybe some guys take some step forward. But at this point, uh, we got about half the half the farm system that we could potentially expect some kind of MLB productivity from. And I feel like that's a good thing, even if it isn't very top heavy. I think Carter Jensen at seven might be a little too rich for me. I'm just not a huge Carter Jensen guy, but his patience and walk rate is really hard to teach, borderline impossible to teach. Um, Austin Charles, I'm also not a gigantic Austin Charles guy. I think 10's a little rich for me there. Carson Rockefort at 15 seems almost perfect, I think. It's like he has the raw tools to be a really solid player, but also hasn't really proven a lot, but also has the experience as a multi-year guy that's one of the older coming in, like that seems perfect for him. Um, guys that are too low for me, Anthony Veneziano at 17 seems yeah. too low. Um, Spencer Nivens at 23 seems too low. And then Will Klein at 27. Th- those three guys. I know that Nivens hasn't been perfect, but I still believe in his tools. 
Um, Klein has been very far from perfect at AAA, but again, even if he's got Dylan Coleman syndrome, where like you, he comes up and is great and then struggles and then it's great. And then you don't know what's going to happen. He still should be higher than that. And then Veneziano just speaks for himself. So those are the, I guess that's six guys that uh, jumped out to me a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you on Spencer Nevins. I think having him at 22 is criminal. Like, I think he is a legit top 15 prospect. Uh, I don't. I think it's just there's a little bit of an unknown with him because he went to a smaller school that I think people just don't know enough about him. But from everything I've heard and some the the clips that I've seen, he's going to be a dude that's going to rise pretty quickly. I think Rockefort's going to be the same way. Rockefort's floor to me feels like it's one of the safest in the system next to Vaz. If he, I mean, if he develops any sort of power, like if there's anything, like even like a 12 to 15 home run guy. He's an everyday center fielder in the big leagues. I, I truly believe that. I like Austin Charles at 10. I think he is a, a top 10 prospect in the system. Uh, he's still super raw. Like, I, I completely understand the the concern and the, you know, kind of wanting to see a little more from you, Jordan. Totally understand. His upside's uh, ridiculous. The, like, the, that, that's kind of what you have to bank on. Yeah. In, exactly. And then for me, like, Gavin Cross at six, like, for him to drop like a hot rock, has been objectively bad, but you see a lot more prospects have be a lot worse than him, and they stay top. Like they they stay toward the top of a you know rankings, and for him to drop that far to me was pretty shocking. And then yep. slotting Blake Mitchell at one right away, I thought that was odd. Like I thought they they I thought we talked about it after the draft. Like I thought he'd be around five or six. And you have a Caden Wallace, Ben Kuderna debate for who the number one prospect in the system is. Because I thought they'd probably move Cross down to like two, three. Probably yep. out of six was wild. Uh, I yep. did not expect that to happen. And then I saw the tweet. Uh, I think it was my buddy Jack Johnson over locked on Royals on the night ship. Uh, he tweeted, maybe Ace Lacey was just the friends we made along the way. Because... <laughs> I know I shouldn't be laughing at that, but, but I love that reference so much because I do that shit all the time. I'm like, well, you know, maybe yeah, this yeah. guy was just the friends you made along the way. Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I think that's, that's a tough scene. That's it is, it, tough scene. and it sucks because it's it's kind of similar to the, the the way it happened for Kyle Zimmer. Yeah. Just injuries could not like he just kept getting in the way. I know that some of the production was not good, but I think it's injury related too, and not just the yeah. player not being good enough. I hope that he's able to find a way back at some point. Um, we have not heard anything about him. I don't know if he's even throwing right now in Arizona. He might be, but the fact that we have heard basically nothing all season kind of tells you where we're at with that. And mm-hmm. first round pick. Can't have, Which, if you're the Royals, you, you can't afford to miss when you're drafting that high. He and was the best available at the time. Yes, like it's so like hard. It's hard. To, you can't blame the order for that. Yeah, yeah. The fact I, that he was available there was like, oh my god, we have to take him. And I and I don't blame them at all. Like I can't. I can't be upset at the pick. I'm not. It's the unfortunate reality of there's no such thing as a pitching prospect where you think this guy he may not be an ace, but he certainly could be in a big league rotation and at worst an elite reliever in the bullpen with his stuff and his shoulder just has not held up and it's us well and then you got the people that for lack of a better term bitch about 
the pick being a bad one. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Like no one when that yeah. a few people when that pick happened they're like, oh, Angel Lacy sucks. He's gonna be so bad. He's gonna get injured all the time. Like it, it wasn't widely viewed as such a terrible pick like it is now. And the Royals don't have all to do with that. They're not Ace Lacy. They're not Ace Lacy's durability. They're not the the mentality. Like it, it's. It's not all their fault that Ace Lacy didn't pan out. And he's still young. Like, it's not complete doomsday for him. But um, him falling off the top prospect list is pretty darn close. All right, I have uh, one final thing before we get out of here. This is just sent to me by a friend of mine. That uh, Bobby Wood Jr. is now sixth all-time in uh, among qualified shortstops in Royals franchise history. Wow. He's in what? In- uh, Warns above replacement. Gotcha. That's wild. He is currently tied with Ray Sanchez. That's just Ray Sanchez. Next up on the list is Nicky Lopez at 7.5, UL Washington (laughs) 7.6, and then it's Alcides Escobar and Freddie Patek. Yeah. Uh, Damn. And he is only 10 wins away from Freddie Patek. The Royals have not had some good shortstops. Pretty piss poor. Pretty yeah, I was not a Nesbitt I mean, guy. It, Straight it, up, I'm just letting you guys know. I I was not a not a fan. Totally so fair. 2020. No, I, I, I thought. Okay, go for it. The movie Draft Day stinks. It is terrible, awful. Just yeah. it's so bad. Yeah, just I don't have a fun I mean, it, it's a, it's a fun premise, but just nobody. And they had like Rich Eisen, they had Roger Goodell, they had all these these cameos that somebody should have been like guys this doesn't make sense this would not happen somebody needs to shut it down shut it's it so down. bad you have to watch it so yeah. like if you haven't seen draft day it's so bad but like you have to still see it so please um that that's my final thought despite our mutual agreement that it's not a good movie it's so bad that it's good and you have to watch it so, so that's geez. that's my parting game for this week lord have mercy like if if Ned Yost made a movie about right. the NFL draft day, that is yeah. what it would be. Yeah. With like and Eli Drinkwitz and it's not gonna do it, Joel. I got more <laughs> no, 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 people about oh, uh, signing up for Eli Drinkwitz slender. And Jerome Tanger. Can no oh, okay, I'm cool with that one. I'm cool with that one. Um <laughs> That's going to do it for One Royal Way this week. Thank you all so much for for hanging with us. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms. Uh, Let us know what you think, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.